All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our live today. We have an excellent guest today. We have Spike Cohen. And uh, you guys that are regulars here normally know that I do the little intro. I say hi to everyone. But um, I've been in the chat saying hi to people. So we're not going to do that today. We're going to jump right into it so that we don't monopolize too much of his time. <laughs> so um, first things first, for the people in the audience who don't know who you are, uh, can you tell them about yourself and your background? Sure, absolutely. And thanks for having me on. Thanks, folks, uh, for tuning in. My name is Spike Cohen. I am the Libertarian, Libertarian Party vice presidential candidate, along with, with my presidential running mate, Dr. Joe Jorgensen. And we are running on a platform of nothing less than setting America free in our time. And uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I have been a uh, business owner uh, of multiple companies over the course of just over 20 years. Uh, I started a web design company uh, back in the 90s and uh, and grew it into a pretty successful company. I uh, was involved in many startup companies during that time as well. And um, I retired from all of that three years ago so I could focus my life full time on sharing the Liberty message. To that end, I became the co-owner of Muddied Waters Media, the host of My Fellow Americans and the co-host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom. And uh, during that time of, of, of doing that, uh, which continues to this day, uh, in talking to Americans all around the, the country, uh, and uh, and hearing their frustrations about the fact that uh, you know we needed to have uh, candidates for office in the Libertarian Party that could present our message of maximizing human liberty in an engaging and dynamic and empathetic way, I decided to run for the Libertarian Party's vice presidential nomination. We do things a little differently than other parties. We actually uh, the delegates actually pick the VP candidate separately from the presidential candidate, and that's what Joe and I are doing right now. We are going around the country, uh, crisscrossing the nation, and uh, taking our message directly to the people and sharing our, our message of dismantling the terrible big government Republicrat policies that have led to the harmful and abusive outcomes and th that we have come to know and love from the Republicans and Democrats and to take the power that they have stolen from you and take the money they've stolen from you and put it back in your hands where it's always belonged. That is an excellent answer. And um, I'm so sorry I jumped right into this without thanking you for being on the show. So my bad. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. No, it's okay. It's okay. You're, you're being very gracious in, uh, in talking with me while I'm here at the Avis rental parking lot. So thank you. <laughs> Well, like I said uh, before we went live, fo folks here are used to technical difficulties. It happens when you're a, a one-woman team. So, right. <laughs> so um, I want to ask some questions about you and some questions about the issues and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but first, so you mentioned how the Libertarian Party does things a little bit differently, and it's mm -hmm. the delegates that pick the candidate in the VP pick. And right, right. so there's been some interesting backlash about that, I, I'm sure. Um, so libertarians always get a lot of flack from the media anyways, and from each other. But there was a little bit of controversy when you got put on the ticket, because you were previously, you know, running around the country with a vermin supreme. And that's one mm -hmm. of the things that's how most people who know your name was introduced to you. Right. Um, 
New York Magazine in May actually ran an article called Libertarians Decide One to Become... One of my, my uh, arguably my favorite article about myself, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was fun. I liked that. I'd be lying. Become if... a joke in 2020. Yeah. Mm. yeah, no, it was fun. It was, it was probably the best read that I've had in a while about myself. <laughs> and then there was the Washington Post that when they mm. announced the ticket, it was... A very professional little blurb until it got to the part that was like, oh, you've probably never heard of them. And then put in like vermin's pillar about killing baby Hitler and used that to describe you. So how are you combating all of that while also in the time of being in a pandemic and not being able to do like the traditional campaigning? Well, so two things. First of all, we are doing traditional campaigning, or I wouldn't call it traditional, but uh, we have, I have visited well over 30 states at this point. We have done uh, bus tours, fly ahead tours. I'm actually just landed in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'll be doing a, a big event in, in Durham uh, tomorrow. Uh, then I'll be back in New York. Uh, I will have, Joe and I will have visited either 48 or 49 of the 50 states uh, by the time election day rolls around. So we actually are at a time when our opponents are increasingly hiding in their in their in their bunkers and, and, and basements uh, from the wrath of, of, of the people who are increasingly frustrated and angry at the uh, expected outcomes of the, the bad policies they put forward. We're here meeting with the people uh, in their neighborhoods, in their states. And uh, it, going back to your original question about the satire, satire was a, an incredibly powerful way to reach people Two groups of people. Number one, people who had never heard of me at a time when I was differentiating myself from other people that were running for the VP office. Uh, and then two, uh, people who outside of libertarian circles are so disgusted with the way things are in this country that they don't want to hear anything from anyone. Uh, if they're going to listen to any kind of news or any kind of information, they're not going to listen from politicians. They're not going to listen from, you know, the, the, the crony corporate media. Uh, they get it from comedy shows. They get it from comedians and humorists and satirists. And, and you know, Vermin has done a great job at bringing people into libertarianism using an absurdist uh, sort of clownish routine, a, a set satirical routine to do so. I engaged in that uh, alongside him, although for the most part, I was playing the straight man to him. I mean, I certainly <laughs> did some funny stuff myself, but for the most part, I was kind of the straight. I did the straight man in that in the, the Vermin spike stick. Uh, but it was a, a good way to differentiate myself. And as I tell people, it worked. It did. So the proof's <laughs> in the pudding. I went from a relative unknown within the party itself because most of the work I had done up until that point was decidedly and intentionally outside of libertarian circles. I wanted to bring non-libertarians into libertarianism. I went from a relative unknown to the VP nominee uh, of the party and one of the most well-known uh, within the party uh, in, that, in that time frame. Uh, and I was able to do that, getting some attention in a way that others may not have wanted to do so. Um, for those who are concerned about my, my level of seriousness, I encourage them to take a listen and see, see and, and hear what I've been doing um, and how I've been spreading the message. Uh, I certainly understand people that were concerned about that. You know, is he going to put a shirt on now that he's the nominee? Uh, and yes, I am. If you want to look, I am wearing clothing. More often than not, I'm actually willing, wearing a full suit, uh, which was always my intention. Uh, but I certainly made the splash that I wanted to and got the attention I wanted. And now that I have people's attention, we're talking about liberty and how to how to set America free in our time, how to change things so that it's not a joke in this country, so that the, the political discourse and the way that the average American is being treated is not as a punchline. And instead, as a uh, as, as them actually being served by a government who's only 
purpose is to protect their lives, rights, and property. Uh, we got another example of a joke, an unintentional joke from that debate a couple days ago. And <laughs> oh, uh, hilarious. You know, <laughs> anyone who's worried about my seriousness need only watch that and, and compare and contrast it to how I operate. Uh, but yeah, that's the, that's the long and short of that. It's it's funny that you brought up the shirt thing because that was like the most scandalous thing that I found. There was a whole thread about it on Reddit that was like, "Oh no, he was on a podcast without yeah. a shirt." Yeah, male <laughs> nipples. It was the worst. It was the worst thing. And and you know, I hate to engage in whataboutism, but I mean, certainly when you compare, you know, the male nipple to you know endless wars overseas, millions of Americans in cages and with felony records because of victimless crimes and so forth, it kind of pales in comparison. I can see. Uh, there were there were there were some other scandals about uh, some. There was actually a mini scandal where people thought that my taxationist theft hat that I was wearing uh, came from Liberty Hangout, which it did not. <laughs> it came from uh, Dan Berman, Dan taxationist theft Berman. But mm -hmm. uh, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I I I did that knowing that it would largely attract what I what what ended up happening uh, with the idea that okay, now I've got your attention. Let's go right. talk about what we're going to do for the next few months, right. and that's what I've been doing. Well, I mean, at least you weren't the guy that did the full strip tease a few years ago. Could I did not. I did, I did not. I I mean, I, you know, just the way my webcam was set up and everything, I really didn't want to actually try to go full thong and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a good call. <laughs> In retrospect, yeah, good call. I think I think it, it was a tasteful it was a tasteful male upper nudity shot, full uh, uh, upper body shot. Tasteful nip. <laughs> tasteful nip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So for, um, I have a, a pretty broad audience that goes across a whole big chunk of the political spectrum. So mm -hmm. for some of the newbies, how would you describe libertarianism? So libertarianism is a wide spectrum, pretty similar to your audience. It's everything from, uh, you know, from minarchism, which is, a, you know, very small government whose only purpose is to protect lives, rights and property, all the way to anarchism, which is a belief that, you know, all services should be provided in a free market. And then even within that, there's everything from anarcho-capitalists, which is what I am. Uh, Anarcho-capitalists believe that, you know, in a, in a fully privatized society with no coercion or government interference, uh, then there are anarcho-socialists who believe in, you know, uh, voluntary collectivization of property and things like that. And there's everything in between. The long story short of libertarianism is this. We recognize that people do best when they are free. We recognize that people own themselves and have autonomy over themselves and their lives and their body. And because they have their autonomy and ownership of themselves, that means that they also have ownership of their labor. And because they have ownership of their labor, that means that they own the product of their labor, which is their property. We believe that we inherently, intuitively own these things exclusively. We can give them away. We can share them. We can uh, uh, trade them. We can sell them. We can rent them. We can do whatever we want with them. But ultimately, they are ours for us to choose what to do with our lives, our rights, our body, our property, our labor, and so forth. And we believe that when others, that when we aggress against someone else, when we try to take from someone else, when we try to hurt someone else, when we try to tell someone what to do, when we try to rob them and so forth, or when someone tries to do that to us, that is an act of aggression. And we believe aggression is wrong, not just from a moral standpoint. Obviously, you shouldn't hurt people. You shouldn't take their stuff and so forth. But also, from a utilitarian standpoint, it doesn't work. If I can take from you... And everyone else who's watching this, whenever I see fit, and if I can order you around whenever I want to, 
I'm not going to have to make good decisions. I don't have to provide value to you. And I don't have to be a good steward of what I have because I can just take more and order you around whenever I want to. I have a proverbial gun to everyone's head and everyone has to do what I say. And you may not make the best choices because you know I can come and take it from you at any time. And if we look at all of the bad outcomes that we have right now, and you, and you distill it down to the base reason why it's happening. The reason we have these bad outcomes is because we live under a system whereby Republicrats have presumed the authority to, uh, uh, to aggress upon us whenever they see fit, to take from us whenever they see fit, to order us around whenever they see fit. And under such an arrangement, we should not expect to have any better outcome than we have right now. That's why the answer isn't just to replace politician A with politician B or even political party A with political party B. The answer is to completely change the way that we look at how government interacts with the people, to completely dismantle these oppressive and tyrannical policies. Mm -hmm. It is. It's a very different paradigm shift. And I actually had Jacob Hornberger on the show before, and he talked about that paradigm shift. And, you know, it, it's completely different when you're talking to people and they're like, oh, well, how do you solve problem A, B, and C within the system? And it's like, well, you have to understand that it would be a totally different system of running right, things exactly. and doing things. Exactly. And exactly. I, I think that's where sometimes people get stuck. Well, of course. I mean, we, we are conditioned within the status quo. And unless we're thinking outside of that, then, you know, we're going to be stuck in that. Uh, we hear that a lot with healthcare. People will ask me questions about, you know, how are we going to lower healthcare costs when, you know, when health insurers and, uh, you know, and, and big pharma and all these other uh, competing interests have a vested interest in maintaining uh, their maintaining their their market share and maintaining their 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 wealth and so forth. And I say, well, we wouldn't. We would dismantle that. We would end these ridiculous patent protections for drugs that have been around forever, drug, drugs that are generic and pretty much anywhere else. We would make it legal for you to be able to buy drugs wherever you want to. We would end the war on drugs so that you had more options available to you for things like pain relief so that you're not having to rely on opioids. We would uh, dismantle the regulations that are driving up healthcare so much that you would even need to use comprehensive health insurance in the first place. We would bring it back to where uh, doctors would have to use the same price equilibrium that uh, grocery stores and restaurants have to use to, uh, when they when they provide services to you uh, so that it actually has to be something affordable or they're not going to have any customers. We would free the market and free the people in it. Uh, it is a longer journey to take than to just tell someone, well, we're going to tax someone else and give it to you for free. But ultimately, ours is the actual sustainable way of doing it that doesn't make the problem worse. It actually treats it at its core, looks at it holistically at how we got here, and then takes it on the journey for how to fix it. Right. And it, what most people don't even realize when they rail against private insurance and how expensive it is and what they cover is most people don't realize that it's their state governments that are actually deciding the premium increases and how much the insurance companies Absolutely. charge and how much they pay for things. Absolutely. Most people have no idea. They have no idea. And it goes even further than that, because comprehensive insurance didn't even exist until FDR proposed wage caps during World War II, which led employee employers to get around it through the loophole of, of providing benefits. Up until then, health insurance was a catastrophic thing. People would pay a small nuisance fee every month. And if they had some kind of catastrophic thing happen to them that they couldn't possibly afford, the insurance would come in and pay for just that. Uh, it was similar to the liability insurance for car insurance. Imagine if you had comprehensive car insurance where that paid for your gas and tire replacements and oil changes and every single thing related to your car, uh, it would cost an absolute fortune, way more than you're paying now because you'd have a third party payer 
paying a third party receiver, you'd have all that bureaucracy and red tape in between, which leads to more administrators who all have salaries that are having to be paid. It would completely eliminate the price equilibrium because you're not the one paying out of pocket for it. And you were, it would lead to a long uh, waits to be able to get the things that you need. Your car would be sitting on the side of the road for days while you wait to get a new tire because there would be runs on access because everyone's having to pay a certain amount every month. So they're going to try to get everything they can out of it. This right. is why we have the problem in healthcare that we do. And it, it started with an imposition on the market nearly, uh, what, uh, uh, 80 years ago now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Feel old yet? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> So I guess then the, the, the million dollar question mm-hmm. is, so a vote for you and Joe, is mm-hmm. that a vote for Biden or is it a vote for Trump? And it how is a do magic, you convince people otherwise? It is a magic <laughs> three-way vote that is a vote for Joe Jorgensen and a vote for Trump and a vote for Biden. And I know this because I'm constantly told this uh, by people <laughs> who don't want me to be running for office. Um, so it is, it's the, if you want to get the most bang for your buck on your vote, uh, then, you know, you vote for us. No, listen, here's, here's the, the, all of that comes back from the so-called wasted vote fallacy Mm -hmm. that you have to vote for Republicrat A or Republicrat B or else you're wasting your vote, throwing your vote away, a wasted vote, throwing your vote away is voting for the people who created this mess and expecting them to fix it, even as they are still actively making these problems worse for the express intent of making you desperate and anxious and more reliant on them and benefiting and padding the pockets of the well-heeled, politically connected billionaire cronies who bought and paid for them to be in office. That is what wasting a vote is. It's actually worse than wasting a vote. It's voting against your interest over and over again. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also the, the there's also the uh, the the lesser evil fallacy. Uh, yes. We've been voting for lesser evils for several decades now, and we just keep getting more evil. So at some point, we have to acknowledge that this is nothing but gaslighting. We are being told that these are two teams that are against each other, and you're you know on one side you're either voting for a Republican or you're voting for uh, for a communist, and on the other side you're told you're either voting for a Democrat or you're voting for a Nazi. But they work together every single day, every Mm -hmm. single day. The CARES Act that took trillions of dollars from us and handed it off to Wall Street and big businesses and big government agencies so that now we have, uh, you know, we're in a a record depression, the the, the likes of which we've never seen in our time, while simultaneously stock prices are at or near all time highs. This is what they have created hand in hand together. And it's never going to end until we take the power back from them. Mm-hmm. I actually, a friend of mine had a really good argument for a third party vote the other day. And he said, basically, if you are living in a state like, um, you know, Massachusetts, where I was right. from up until a month ago, for example, now I am in the beautiful South Carolina and it is so much better. <laughs> yeah, I live in, I live in, uh, I live in Myrtle Beach. So oh, no, it's much better. I'm on the opposite end of the state, but. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like if you live somewhere like Massachusetts, for example, you always know that the state is going to go blue no matter right. what. So it doesn't really matter if you vote blue or red because it's going to go blue anyway. So you might as well vote your conscience, the third party, get the 5% so that the party can be on the ballots and get, uh, you know, party status and all of that. Right, right, right. And so that you can have more choices the next time around. And I thought that that was actually a really good argument. 
It is. It's one that I tend to shy away from because I'm running to win and I intend to try to flip every state that I possibly can. But yeah, I mean, the reality is historically you have states that are overwhelmingly voting for one or the other. And if it because of the Electoral College, if you are someone who doesn't want to vote Democrat in a, in a state like Massachusetts or you know Hawaii or if you're in Washington, D.C. or whatever, uh, or if you're someone who doesn't want to vote Republican in South Carolina or, uh, you know, or, or you know, Oklahoma or, or um uh, you know, uh, Kansas or something like that, then uh, you, you know, why not vote third party? It's not as though your, your vote, if you're, if you're it, it, falling within the whole paradigm of the wasted vote and, you know, the inevitability of a Republican winning office, why not vote for, you know, for another option if, if neither of the, the people that, uh, that are running in the Republican parties represent you? With that said, uh, we have seen such a massive surge of interest and, and support after that debate performance um, where we yeah, I saw heard that the website crashed because so it, many it, people were going on it. We have had tens of millions of people visit our website and social media in our time. We have seen a massive across the board surge in uh, in engagement and support. Uh, every metric we have used just completely blew through the roof. And what we saw was that a large amount of it was people who looked at that were utterly horrified and immediately took to the internet to try to find someone that they could possibly hope for besides those two. Um, so, you know, shout out to our opponents uh, for making our jobs a lot easier and running to, to say, you know, someone asked me who I thought won the debate. And I said, every single American who's been saying for the past year that there's no discernible difference uh, between Trump and Biden, that they're both fools, that neither one of them can name a concrete policy change that they want to make to actually affect things. Uh, and that at no point will they acknowledge the fact uh, here's a fun drinking game you can you, you could have played during that debate if you want to stay sober. Drink every time one of them acknowledges that it's their parties and policies that created the mess that we're in, and that the only way we're going to get out of it is to is to end those policies and 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 forge forward with a different way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that here on this channel, um, we were just sitting eating Cheetos together <laughs> and laughing. <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty rough. <laughs> with with how divided the current political and social climate is over this stuff, I mean, do you think that at this point there's a way back, or do you think we're just like about to careen off the edge? Yeah, I, I I certainly do. If if I didn't, I wouldn't I wouldn't be running. I I if I were if I I would be doing a different set of things. If I if I thought that we were in a hopeless thing, and I I don't think of. I don't tend to think of things in a, in a matter of crisis. That that's sort of a, a conditioning that we have from Republicans and Democrats. That this is the new crisis, and we all have to overreact <laughs> to it. My thing is, I think that it is just a a cumulative thing where over time it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And we adapt to that, those things being worse. We adapt to uh, the ever growing uh, uh, spiraling co uh, uh, cost of living spiral spiraling out of control. We adapt to the growing gap between those who have the least and those who have the most. We respond to an increasingly, we, we adapt to an increasingly militarized uh, and infringing and unaccountable police and, and government state. We, we, uh, we adapt to the fact that government is, as we know now, spying on every single thing that we do uh, without any even stated reason or warrant or anything else. Thanks to Edward Snowden, we know that literally everything we are doing online is being watched and logged and recorded for future right. use, uh, which does nothing to keep us safe. Uh, we adapt to these things and uh, and we adjust to them. Um, 
but that doesn't mean we have to. We don't. What my message is not all hope is lost, or we're going to lose hope if we don't do something this very moment. My hope, my message is, we don't have to live this way. We don't have to live in a constant state of crisis. We don't have to live in a constant state of being further and further imposed upon. We don't have to live in this state of of political theater that 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 seeks to divide us against each other and have us at each other's throats, literally fighting in the streets at times. We don't have to live this way. We can take the power back. We can be freer and not just freer, but happier and healthier and safer and more prosperous. And all we have to do is shrug off the shackles they put on us. All we have to do is take back the power and vote them out and replace them with people who recognize that if a government is to legitimately exist, its only purpose is to protect the lives and the rights and the property under of the people under its presumed jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, speaking of the election and getting out there and voting, what, what are your thoughts on this whole universal mail-in voting debacle? So I think you've got some people saying that it, it you know, it, it's, that you either support the post office or you're a Nazi. Uh, and then you have other people saying that, you know, uh, there's going to be massive fraud uh, and there's nothing, you know, everyone needs to, you know, show up in person uh, inside of an eight hour time frame, or else the, the results are invalid. Uh, I tend to be uh, uh, for somewhat uh, biased reasons. Uh, I like, I like mail-in voting and here's why. Everyone gets a ballot, even people who have long since shrugged off the whole thing and said, I'm not going to bother showing up. All these people are lying. All of them are scumbags. Uh, the system isn't for us. So everyone who's 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 registered gets a ballot. Uh, the other thing I like about it is unlike when, you know, we've all been at the, at the or most of us have been at the voting booth where we are in line. We're waiting for, you know, sometimes hours, depending on, you know. How, how long it takes for us to vote in our area. And then we're in this booth. We know there's a ton of people behind waiting for us. And we're looking at our choices. We, even though we technically have as much time as we want, we're just kind of rushing through it and, you know, and aren't really, you know, looking, you know, thinking of our options. We're just kind of voting for whoever shows up or whoever comes up that we recognize. Whereas if you have the ballot at home and you want to do some research, you can Google the names, you can look into who's on. I think it'll actually help some third party and, and, and independent choices of people that will say, you know, what? I really don't make too many choices. Uh, let me see who my other options are. We shall see if there's any major difference one way or another. It may not be a big difference, but I, I think both sides who have tried to uh, promote it as either promote it as, you know, the, the savior of, of democracy or uh, or decry it as the, the, the death of our republic. I, I think it's probably uh, more than likely not going to make a massive difference one way or another, except maybe for third parties. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is an argument that I really hadn't thought of before. And that is a really good point that everyone will have a ballot and a chance to sit there and Google their candidates if they really want to. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people may not even want to do that. It's a theory of mine. Uh, I don't have any evidence to prove that it's going to happen. We'll see. We're about to find out uh, if it has any major effect. And I'm sure they'll do exit polling of people to ask them if that, you know, affected their choices or whatever. But uh, at a time when, uh, according to a, uh, I think it was CNN poll, either CNN or MSNBC after the debate, where uh, 57% of Americans said that that debate made them want to not vote for either of the, t- either oh, of the wow. two on the stage. Yeah, 57% said neither uh, after after watching that debate. Uh, Ooh, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. Yeah, that's pretty darn high. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and it doesn't surprise me because our, our traffic went up uh, as much as 3000 fold shortly after that debate. So wow. I believe I believe that 57% of Americans right now are trying to figure out who they want to vote for. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and are pretty sure they, they, they'd rather not vote for either of those two. 
uh, we'll see what that what, it, what that ends up looking like on election day. But uh, I certainly feel uh, pretty good about the, the vote totals we're going to be getting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I mean, that that's very optimistic. <laughs> so I want to turn. Oops, I think we're having a, a problem. I'm here. here. I'm here. I'm here. OK. Okay. I'm here. <laughs> so I want to go. So I um, told people that you were going to be on the show. And so I had um, people from my audience write in and ask some questions. So I have some of their questions for you. Uh, cool. But first, I want to get over here. J. Derek Williams says that his brother had a few classes with you at North Myrtle Beach High School. And that it's awesome to see you standing up for liberty and challenging the two party system. Oh, awesome. Is he's is that he's in the chat? Yeah. What was right my, I wonder what his name was. Well, that's cool. Well, thank you. That's thanks for letting me know that, man. I, I appreciate. Thanks for your support. And um, oh, I just saw. Oh, here we go. Um, Keith have one. Thank you. Uh, Jesse Meeks says, since I reached voting age, I have never voted for a candidate I really liked, only for who I felt was the lesser of two evils. And I first started voting during the Reagan era. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And that's the problem is that, you know, we often are told we have to vote for the quote unquote lesser evil. And I, I, I've done it before. I mean, I'm, I'm not attacking people who do that. I mean, we I, most of us have been there at some point where we go, oh, my gosh, OK, fine. I'll vote for this guy. He sucks. Um, but I, I hate him. But whatever. Um, we're definitely seeing that with a lot of Biden supporters who were vote like, blue you know, no matter who. <laughs> I mean, yeah, vote blue. No, I mean, I I literally saw a, a website, and I mean, there's some people voting for Trump because they just are horrified at Biden. But there's there's a special group of people who literally, I mean, they made a website settleforbiden.org <laughs> or something like that. I thought it was a joke. They were unironically serious that okay, guys, let's just settle for Biden. And I'm thinking we're settling, quote unquote, for one of the architects of the militarized police state with his running mate, one of its most brutal enforcers. If there's anything, uh, you know, if I were, I'm not a progressive Democrat. I certainly, there's some things that I share in terms of beliefs like uh, criminal justice reform, ending the wars, ending the war on drugs and so forth, uh, ending police brutality. Uh, if I were a progressive liberal Democrat, I don't think I could vote for Joe Biden or, or, or Kamala Harris. And, and if I were a constitutionalist Republican in the same token, I couldn't vote for the, uh, the, the, the spending and, and, and uh, debt spending and, and taxation champion Donald Trump. So it's, you know, uh, I, like I said, I, I think uh, the, the opportunity that, wow, are these lesser evils or do they really just both suck a lot? <laughs> I think that's a, a big question that is on a lot of people's minds right now. Um, so we have another question. Well, actually, so we had a lot of questions about the Second Amendment and your stance on the Second Amendment. Oh, our stance is very clear. Uh, read the Second Amendment. That's our stance. Uh, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Common sense gun control is the American people armed with whatever the hell weaponry they want to protect themselves and their loved ones and their communities, and if need be, their country, deciding what we allow the government to have. That is what was intended. It's been completely flipped on its head, and we're, we're seeing the terrible outcomes as a result of that. If you are a uh, someone who doesn't want to be control government uh, armed that uh, over and over again and not just minorities armed people don't get brutalized uh, if you want to be able to protect your property from rioters and looters 
people that are you know armed are able to protect their their properties from those who would want to harm it uh if you don't if you want to stop mass shootings you should be able to shoot back we've seen the difference between no gun zones and places that have guns every mass shooting that has happened in this country in the last what 60 years has happened in a no gun zone in a place that had signs up saying you cannot bring a gun here of course they'd pick those areas that's where the softest targets are we contrast that with the shooting that happened in, uh, in Texas last year at one of the churches there where someone came in, he started shooting and a bunch of people turned around and shot him. He wasn't able to do his mass shooting. He got mass shot. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to see. And so we want shooters to get mass shot. And the way that we do that is by uh, is by ending the pandemic of uh, tragic voting accidents in our time and uh, and, and restoring the, the gun rights of the American people. Right. I think I, I remember watching the video and I did a video on it. And I think at one point, like there were eight people jumping up with their guns drawn yep. on this one guy. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it was a perfect, it was a perfect example. I, we both live uh, in South Carolina where the, with the mother Emanuel church shooting happened. And I mean, it was horrific. I, I lived here when that happened and Dylan Ruth was, was able to go in and at, at, you know, at his leisure, kill 13 people. And that was a church that didn't, in South Carolina, churches can decide whether or not to right. allow firearms. Mother Emanuel Church did not. Um, that, that's not why he targeted them uh, per se. He targeted them because of their race and because he was trying to start a race war. But it's why he was able to kill as many people as he did. And mm -hmm. if it had been a similar setup as that Texas church, uh, he might have been able to kill one or two people, uh, but he'd also be dead himself. And there'd be far more people that were still alive. Uh, and, 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 you know, every single opportunity uh, for the, uh, the arguments for gun control are actually arguments against gun control, mass shootings, police brutality, rioting, crime, murder, and everything else. That is a reason for someone to be able to defend themselves because, you know, the, the, the old age, the, you know, the, 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 the long, uh, the very old adage that when uh, seconds count, the police are minutes away. And it's true. Uh, anyone who's trying to help you is minutes or even hours away. Uh, if you are able to defend yourself, you have that gun. But no, Joe and I uh, believe in uh, completely abolishing the ATF and uh, completely restoring the gun rights of Americans, ending the war on guns, expunging the records of anyone who is in jail on a gun crime and uh, and being true to the law. The Second Amendment is the law. It is prime to any of these ridiculous gun control laws. It was not limited to the federal government. It said the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, period. Not just by the feds. I am back. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I mean, people seem to be very happy with that answer. I knew that they would be happy with the answer because I knew it what, what it was already. But <laughs> very good answer. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned about gun rights is of course being able to protect yourself whether it's from criminals riots whatever so how would you and joe handle all the riots that are going on right now i am back okay <laughs> <laughs> all right short version of the question without the lead up how would you and joe handle all the riots that are going on right now well, first of all, we have to look at what started the, the, the riots in the first place. And that was a, a response to the, uh, it started as protest of, against police brutality. We would end the conditions for police 
brutality and qualified immunity and the war on drugs and mandatory minimum sentencing and the militarization of the police uh, and uh, civil asset forfeiture and uh, all of those things uh, so that now the police the only purpose that the police are serving is to protect the public as opposed to enforcing victimless uh, crime laws. And also when there are bad apples who make bad actions in police departments, they're held accountable like the rest of us would be. Here's what happened with the rioting. The police left entire areas of the city unpleased. Now, we can, we can all decide whether that was intentional or unintentional. But what it has led to is entire sections of cities being completely unpleased and vulnerable. And thanks to the war on guns, the people in those areas were unable to effectively defend themselves against rioters and looters and opportunists, right? So whether or not the purpose of what they're connected to or anything else, most of them are really just opportunists. You know, you have protesters that are being tear gassed by police over here while rioters are, are attacking businesses and, uh, and, and properties and, and, and people's homes over, over there. The answer to that, again, in both cases, end the war on guns. I have been to protests where the week before uh, the Black Lives Matter protesters that were there were tear gassed and thrown in jail without any charges and held over the weekend and finally let go. Total violation of their due process rights. And uh, the next day, the next week they came and boob boys showed up with guns. And those same police officers that tear gassed them and threw them in cages for the weekend left them alone and let them do their protest. At the same time, uh, when we have these uh, uh, looting and rioting and so forth, allow the business owners and property owners and people to protect themselves and defend themselves against uh, against uh, against the people that are coming for their property. Let's unify, u- universalize, uh, you know, rooftop Koreans for all of us. Let's make it so that we can all be our own rooftop Korean when need when need be. I was actually going to say rooftop Koreans, and I was like, yeah. oh, that might not be very professional. <laughs> Well, if it's not, then, you know, I I mean, no one's, I've been accused of unprofessionalism in the past, but I mean, listen, we need to be able to protect ourselves and our loved ones and our communities. And again, if need be our country, that is when it says the well-regulated militia at the the preamble of the second amendment, that's us. Mm -hmm. That's what that means. That means the people armed with what we see fit, ready to defend ourselves and everyone around us against anyone who would do us harm whether it's an invading army or a looter or a rioter or an abusive police officer, you have the right to defend yourself and to deter others from harming you, period. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And when you mentioned, um, I know in some other interviews, you've mentioned community policing. And so I think the way that you view that is different than, you know, what some of the folks on the left are saying. So when you talk about things like, you know, ending qualified immunity and and community policing and all of that, Mm -hmm. like, what's your version of all of that? What I mean, when I say community policing, I could just as easily say private policing, or, you know, small government policing, or whatever you want to say, I believe not just with policing, but with healthcare, with education, with any you know uh, civil service that is being provided, first response teams and things like that, anything that is being provided as a service to the greater community. The people in that community should be the ones deciding what it looks like. There is no reason that state and federal governments should be deciding what police department look, departments look like in communities. It leads to bad outcomes. It leads to those communities not being served. And it leads to the U.S. having the largest prison population on the planet 
it leads mm-hmm. to uh, the fact that chattel slavery was just replaced with, in the 13th Amendment, replaced with prison slavery, which is what we have now, to the point to where we actually have corporations that, ha- make, that are traded on Wall Street, make billions of dollars a year, uh, that they're, what they make their money from is by leasing out free prison labor or, or cheap prison labor. And, you know, th- this is what that has led to. If instead we put give the money and the power and the freedom back to the people in all of our communities, in every community that we live in, and allow us at that localized level to decide what our police look like, to decide what our first response looks like, to decide what everything, our education, our, 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 our schools look like and everything else, to decide what those things look like. Not only will it lead to better and more cost efficient and more helpful outcomes, but it will disempower the, the, the pandering craven politicians and the billionaire cronies uh, who currently run our klepto- kleptocratic system right now. I just want to pop into the super chats real quick because um, I think you'll like these. So super boss Giovanni says, I was going to vote Trump simply because Biden is a second amendment antichrist, but I'm pretty sure you got my <laughs> vote, Mr. Cohen. Well, that means a lot to me. And uh, I, you can certainly like, if, if you support, uh, if you support the second amendment, if you support the right of the people to keep and bear arms, uh, you know, Donald Trump, uh, I don't have to tell you the things he's done in the last five years. Uh, he's been one of the biggest cheerleaders for red flag laws, which does an end run around the Second Amendment by and the, the, the Fourth Amendment, too, by having the police just barge into your home and take your guns if someone complains about you, basically. Um, basically. It is a terrible terror. Basically, long story <laughs> short, uh, with very little to no evidence, someone can say, I think this person is dangerous. And uh, and all of a sudden the police are, are banging down your door at three in the morning and you have to decide. Uh, your guns are your life. And oh yeah, I did. I that did is like a, sorry. I did like a whole forty-five minute speech on it at Porkfest this year, and how crazy and terrifying red flag laws are. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dun- I mean, you know, Duncan Lemp should be alive right now. Duncan Lemp should be alive, and he would be alive if it wasn't for these ridiculous laws. Um, right. We need if if the if the Constitution is to have any purpose at all, if this government is to have any purpose at all, we need to have the Bill of Rights be the prime law that it was intended to be. Your Fourth Amendment right to be secure in your person and your home and your property and your effects, uh, your your right to keep and bear arms, your right to speak and express yourself freely. All of these things have to be prime above anything else. And if they're not, then that government is not uh, uh, operating under the consent of the government. It is a tyrannical government. Mm-hmm. And um, Robert Chappelle says, honestly, uh, knew nothing about Spike before tonight. I'm impressed. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, so I want to switch gears and uh, get some of these other questions in. So how would you and Joe handle the COVID crisis? Well, I don't want to say crisis because we talked about the word crisis earlier. How would you guys handle COVID going forward? And what mm-hmm. would you guys have done differently? Well, let's start with the done differently because any of these things we have to look at the root cause, right? For the first six to eight weeks that the virus was here, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, which the Republicrats set up to supposedly protect us from this very type of thing, banned medical professionals from doing their job. It banned medical professionals from testing COVID patients. What are we told all the time? We have to test, 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 test. The more we test, the more we know who has it, the more we can contain them and try to slow the spread of this virus. And yet for nearly two months, they didn't allow anyone to test for it. The few test results that we had in public were done illegally and released illegally. 
Okay, we had American companies that were making approved COVID-19 test kits by the millions and they were having to sell them overseas because it was illegal for them to sell them and illegal for anyone to buy or use them here. We still have certain types of test kits that are cheap send uh, at home test kits uh, that test for both the, the, the virus and the antibodies that cost very little compared to some of the other test kits that are out now that are still illegal because they don't report to the government. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> What we would have done in those crucial first days and weeks is just remove, and we would have done it long before that, remove the regulations that are making it so damn hard for medical professionals to do their job in the first place. In the, but we didn't need COVID to tell us that our healthcare system sucked. And it's often because of impositions and red tape and, and, and taxes and mandates and other regulatory burdens that drive up the cost of healthcare, drive down the access to affordable care, make it harder for them to provide care. And in this type of scenario, lead to potentially hundreds of thousands of lives lost. We don't know how many people are going to, that could have been saved if we had simply allowed medical professionals to do their damn job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so going pre- fo- and, and, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to the second part of your question, what, what would I do? What would we do moving forward? Simply yes. put, get rid of those regulations, get the government, especially the federal government out of health care. Recent studies have shown that 75 percent of the cost of health care is just federal mandates and taxes and and and, uh, and and regulatory red tape. It's why when you walk into a hospital, you see a, a handful of doctors and a handful of nurses and dozens of administrators because of all of the regulatory compliance that they have to prove. It is why when you stand when you're sitting uh, in a doctor's office, there are thousands of invisible people between you and the doctor that have to be paid before you can even find out what the procedure costs that they're trying to do. All of that drives up costs in the best of times and in the worst of times. It makes this pandemic even worse. It's why this country is having the worst uh, uh, outbreak of this pandemic of any developed country. Get government out of healthcare. Put the power back in the hands of the people and make healthcare something that is, is decided between you and your medical professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, so I'm um, a mental health therapist by trade and I have my own practice. And I mean, people don't realize the administrative burden and all the paperwork and the red tape behind it, even for something as simple as physically changing your mailing address with the insurance companies. Yep, yep, it's yep. Which, which, it, it, which, it's it's almost as though you just moved from Massachusetts to South Carolina and can tell us about that. <laughs> almost. <laughs> um, almost. Almost. <laughs> um, so Keith have one at, says, uh, if you and Joe win, what kind of changes can you make when you have to deal with Senate, House, and courts? Sounds like a complete overhaul is required. Absolutely. And that's an excellent question that I get asked, asked a lot because now with that said, if, if, you know, when we get elected, obviously that will mean that there, we won't, it won't happen in a vacuum. We will obviously have so many, uh, you know, uh, libertarians that are elected, uh, at the, uh, in the, in the, the house and Senate as well. But if for no other reason, then only about a third of the Senate is up for election at, at any given election cycle. We'll have to deal with a Republican supermajority in the Senate, if nothing else. Uh, even if we, you know, win, you know, a, a massive landslide in in all the other races as well. Thankfully, or I shouldn't say thankfully, but the silver lining to the fact that Congress has so abdicated their responsibility over the past several decades, every couple of years creating one uh, federal, uh, you know, agency after the next. Every 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 couple of years, we get some new alphabet boy agency, and they're <laughs> and they're given you know nearly un, 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 unlimited regulatory authority. The silver lining to that 
is that when Joe gets into office, she can start undoing all that stuff. Any uh, regulation that doesn't serve to protect the public in any uh, tangible or discernible way and is only really there to just make things more difficult, that goes out the window. You know, uh, uh, Obama and Trump have bragged about their their phone and their and their pen. Uh, Joe's going to have a, a big eraser and a shredder. We'll be able to undo. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're going to be able to undo a lot of this stuff at the executive level. Now, a lot of it does have to be undone at the legislative level to be permanent or even to happen in the first place. I mean, not not everything can be in, undone at the executive level, obviously, but we will be able to do quite a bit. And when the American people see the immediate and profound benefit that will come from having that boot at least somewhat taken off of their neck, they will be happy and we'll be able to ride that wave of goodwill all the way to the steps of the Capitol building and draw a line in the swamp and encourage people to join us on this side of the line with the people who are removed, who are working to remove that uh, boot entirely from the neck of the people so that they can thrive or they can stay on the other side of the line and work to keep that boot on the people's neck and allow continued needless suffering for no other reason than to preserve their own power and influence. Uh, I do think that we will be able to uh, negotiate, uh, uh, negotiate good outcomes uh, uh, at the legislative level, not everything we want, but quite a bit. And I think that we'll be in a good position to replace a lot of those Republicans when the American people see the difference between freedom and tyranny in real terms. And I think there will also be times where, you know, we, the, the, however many libertarians are in Congress, will be able to act as a wedge where we can work with Republicans on things that we agree with them on without having to involve Democrats and work with Democrats on things we agree with them on, or at least in theory, agree with them on. Their, their rhetoric says that we agree with them on it. We'll give them a chance to put up or shut up. Mm hmm. Well, and speaking of uh, courts and replacements and all of these things, so of course, the SCOTUS picks are yes. <laughs> a big controversy right now. And mm -hmm. I actually found there were a lot of libertarians that got really upset online, especially on Facebook out of all the platforms, and were almost at the point of disavowing the party completely when the pick list came out with Alan Dershowitz on it. Uh, and it seemed, a lot of people were saying it seemed like a strong case of not really reading the room. And so I had a lot of people wondering how that list was created. Listen, and how he got uh, on it. <laughs> listen within a matter of hours after putting it up, uh, Joe uh, took his name off and rightfully so. He was a terrible pick. Mm -hmm. That's really all I can say about that. <laughs> okay, okay. Like a uniquely terrible pick. That's all I can say about that. It was not great. <laughs> it was not a great pick. Um, Roscoe Van Dam says the FMCSA and other trucking regulatory organizations run amok on the trucking industry. Yes. Policies yes. made by people who have clearly never worked in the industry, let alone yep. set foot in a semi truck. Would this change under Joe? Yes. The federal government has no business telling truckers how to do their job, period. At all. All that has to go. I think that's fair. <laughs> I doubt any of them have ever set a foot in a truck ever. Uh, it doesn't seem like it because if it did, they wouldn't say, hey, how can we cut the average trucker's salary roughly in half and make their job miserable? That's pretty much what those regulations do. The government has absolutely, the federal government has absolutely 0.0% business getting involved in what truckers are doing. There is, there is, truckers are the safest drivers on the planet. 
they are very, very well trained. And there is no reason, uh, you know, that the most safe drivers on the planet should be even further regulated than they already are in terms of the, the qualifications they have to get just to, you know, and the training they have to have just to be able to get a CDL in their state in the first place. There, there is absolutely no reason. It's a perfect example of the federal government sticking their nose into something that they shouldn't have even looked at in the first place and just leading to bad, harmful, abusive outcomes for no good reason. In fact, actually, here's the reason. Because it's increasingly impossible to be an independent owner operator. In order to be able to make any kind of money, you have to work for one of the big established crony companies. Surprise, surprise that regulations would benefit the cronies who just so happen to own the politicians that are in office. What a serendipitous <laughs> moment for them. We got to get we got to end all of that stuff, guys. We got to get government out of so much. And trucking is another perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. And um as far as the, you, you mentioned stocks, well, the economy being horrible right now, but stocks being at an all, being at at all, an all time, time high yeah. in mm -hmm. some sectors at least. So yeah. how would you and Joe go about trying to revive the economy? By getting government out of it. This is a common theme. You're going to be shocked at my answers moving forward because typically the answer is get government out of it. Government puts barriers up that anything that government is doing that is not protecting the lives, rights, and property of the people, first of all, is something it should not be doing. Second of all, it's something that it wasn't designed to do. Every time government sticks its nose into something that isn't protecting live rights and lives, rights, and property, it ends up screwing it up. What it has done to the economy, why we are seeing a growing income inequality, a growing gap between those who have the least and those who have the most, why we're seeing increasing stratification between different income classes, why we're seeing an end to upward mobility outside of the of those who are in the upper middle, upper middle and upper classes is because of the fact that government has put so many burdens and barriers on the market, on the economy, that it is increasingly impossible for Americans to even live without having some level of subsidization. That is going to drive the market and the economy into a turmoil. This was happening before COVID. COVID just exposed what was happening. The average American was already two or three paychecks away from homelessness. That is the situation that we have been facing. And so, and the reason for it is the reason why so many people that I met, uh, you mentioned Jacob Hornberger. Jacob and I did uh, door knocking tours in housing projects. Some of the poorest people in this country, people who had almost nothing. Almost every single person we talked to had a business, a side hustle, something they did, anything from uh, cutting or hair or braiding hair or mowing lawns or doing landscaping, uh, doing roofing work, electrical work, plumbing work, and all sorts of other things, food service, DJing, pretty much anything you can think of, anything that people would want, helpful services, and they provided value to their community. They couldn't market, though, because it was completely mm. illegal what they were doing. They couldn't afford the tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars that they needed to be able to do it legally. So they kept it on the low. Don't tell anyone I'm doing this. Only refer people that you can trust to me. I had a business for 20 something for almost, uh, well, actually over 20 years I've had businesses. Marketing is the name of the game. Always be marketing, always be selling. If you can't do that, you can't grow it into a multi-million dollar business. You can't grow it into something you can live off of. So they get just enough money to be able to just have some money on the side because if they grow it too big, here come the police with civil asset forfeiture to take everything they own without even trying them for anything or even arresting them. They take everything they own and then they usually get kicked out of public housing too, to boot. Right. 
So now you have people who could have otherwise become wealthy or at the very least be able to live off of their, their, their labor and provide for their families and build up their communities economically. Instead, they are forced into a situation thanks to zoning and occupational licensing and, all of, and, and taxes and all other barriers and burdens that are making it impossible for them to work legally. Therefore, they are unable to really grow their business that make them stay in generational poverty. We see what the economy is doing across the board. When we put the power back in the hands of the people, we can thrive and we can prosper and we can have a fairer and more equitable society. I don't know how many progressives you have on here, but if you want more fairness, if you want for there to be less of a gap between the rich and the poor, deregulate. Get rid of the crony regulations so that people can grow their businesses. People can grow their communities. People can keep the money that they earn instead of having half of it being stolen from them. That's how we grow the economy. Right. And um, Robert Chappelle says, uh, as a freight broker, I thank you. The DOT telling grownups when they have to go to sleep is insane. It's absurd. I, I didn't even know it went that far. Oh, it's that you have to, you are only allowed to work. What is it, uh, Robert? N uh, 10 hours, nine and a half hours, something like that. And here's, for, and for your safety, if you've crossed over that nine and a half, 10 hours, and you're driving down the road, you have to pull off on the side of the road on a major interstate for your safety. It not go really dangerous. Not, <laughs> not 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 drive another 10 15 minutes to a rest stop at least. You have to just stop where you are. Pull off on the side of the road. And if the shoulder is only wide enough to cover your truck and people are, you know, every time the the cars go by you feel this, oh well, that's for your safety. That that is what the federal government has done to trucking. It is a joke and that's a perfect uh that is a perfect description. The DOT is telling adults when to go Betty buys. It is absurd and it is making them increasingly uh, unaffordable to do business with. So you see an increasing number of people who don't get the licenses, they just use their pickup truck and they move freight illegally because they can do it cheaper. So people who are trying to do it the, the legal way get screwed out of the whole thing, which is what we see time and time again. Regulations are created. People try to do it the quote unquote right way or the legal way, where are my hands here? The right way <laughs> or the legal way. Uh, and then so other people go, eh, I'm not going to do it legally. Screw them. And so the people that are trying to do it, you know, on the up and up get screwed out of it. So we need to end all this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Roscoe says it's 14 hours total with only 11 hours driving. Yep. Yep. You know, and yep. I've seen those trucks pulled over at the side of the road before. That's why. And like kind of being in the way. And I've been like, what are they doing? Well, now they I know. are. <laughs> they are complying with federal mandates. And it's the stupidest thing on earth. There's probably a rest stop 10, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever up the road. These are adults. They can drink a little coffee, make it up the road and be somewhere safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Well, so since most of your... Mo answers to most of the questions I'm going to ask would be get rid of the government regulation. Get rid of the government, yeah. <laughs> and we only have a few minutes left. Sure. Um, I want to ask, so how, because this this doesn't, this you can't say, get rid of this agency. How would you oh, enjoy- I, I, I accept your challenge, but go ahead. Okay, okay, we'll see, we'll see. How would you and Joe address the trillions and trillions of dollars of national debt? And the Federal Reserve. Here is oh, the problem that we have. I got you. <laughs> and the Federal Reserve. And that's also the answer to every other question on earth. For those who wonder why libertarians get all wide-eyed when we talk about the Federal Reserve, it's because it is the epicenter of every single problem we are facing. And here's what that means. Since, first of all, since the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, three things happened. Number one, 
We went to war the next year and have pretty much stayed at war every single year since then because now the government can just borrow money from itself instead of having to tax you to pay for it. That changed everything. Now, instead of going to you and saying, uh, let me get some more money from you because I want to start war with this country over here. Now they have to actually, now they can just say to the Federal Reserve, yeah, give me a $10 trillion over the course of the next 15 years uh, and I'll just make those rubes over there pay for it with interest. Um, the other thing that happened is that the cost of living, uh, or the other thing that happened was that uh, we didn't have these major boom and bust cycles. We would have some economic booms and economic busts, but that was more related to supply and demand. But now our boom cycle is built around what, what, you know, what we'll call the, the Austrian business cycle, which is basically that the central bank pumps uh, money into the economy to try to, uh, to, try to prop it up. Uh, eventually it reaches a point where the bubble bursts because even the free money isn't enough to actually make any money off of and people start losing money anyway, which means the whole thing has to self-correct, which often, which then leads to bailouts where the, the wealthy people that created that situation walk away scot-free. The rest of us are in utter destitution that we never get out of fully. Uh, and then the other thing that happens is that the cost of living just keeps on going up. You know, they used to, uh, uh, was a Ben Franklin who said the only sure things in life are death and taxes. Well, yeah. add inflation to that now. It didn't used to be that way. The cost of living used to go up and down with supply and demand. If, if the economy was doing really well, the cost of living would go up a little bit. If the economy wasn't doing well, the cost of living would possibly go down or at least stay roughly the same. Once the federal government, through the Federal Reserve, was able to just print out endless notes and inflate the monetary supply without adding any extra value, when you, when, if, if the value of the entire monetary supply is X and you add a trillion more dollars to it, all you're doing is reducing the value of each of those Federal Reserve notes. That's why the money in the, in the 107 years that the Federal Reserve has been around, your Federal Reserve note, your dollar bills that are in your pocket right now have lost 98 percent of their value. Mm -hmm. Let me say that another way. Imagine if your money was worth 50 times what it's worth right now. That's how much you have been robbed by central bankers. Wow. Every single bad thing to come out of the federal government is at least partially affected by the fact that it can just print out money at will, lend it to itself and stick you with the bill for it. So what do we propose? Number one, audit the Fed so that people can see what it is. Number two, end the Fed after people see what it is. And then number three, get government out of currency. It is a constitutionally enshrined uh, power of government, but government has proven what it will do when it is the monopoly on currency because it has a vested interest in its money, in its currency losing value over time because that way they can keep you reliant and anxious and drive up the cost of living and they reduce the value of their debts over time with inflation, whatever that money is, whatever that debt is worth goes down over time. If you put it in the hands of the free market, now the people providing you with currency, the competing people who don't have a monopoly know that they can lose your business. And surprise of surprises, wonder of wonders, suddenly they have to actually provide you with value because they can't make you use their service, in this case, currency. So now your currency gains value over time. Now you have your choice of which currency to use based on your specific needs. Now you can actually see the cost of living go down or at least not go up over time. And also the government loses the ability to just print out endless reams of monopoly money and hand it off to whoever they want to, to their crony friends or use it to fund endless wars and the war on drugs and every other terrible thing that's happening to us. Now, when they want to do something, they have to come to us and say, Hey, there's this thing we want to do. What do you think about that? 
And we decide whether we want to do it or not, because we're also going to end the IRS. That's my favorite. Well, actually, no, ending the ATF might be my favorite, but ending the IRS is my second favorite. <laughs> they're all they're all they're all good ones. But yeah, ending the IRS, ending the Fed, ending the ATFs, ending the DEA, uh, ending uh, a host of other terrible things. But yeah, the Federal Reserve is at the epicenter of all this stuff. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, so we are at the hour mark and it sounds like there's stuff going on. There's out some there. stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to keep you uh, any longer. I know you have busy, busy schedules and lots of things to do, but uh, I want to thank you for coming on and answering the questions, even through, you know, the whole rental car process. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, everyone who has tuned in, thank you for joining me on my journey of getting my rental car, driving to the hotel, losing my internet connection, I believe at least three times, uh, and now sitting here while people come up and ask if we're okay. Um, oh, so th no. thank you. Thank you for taking that journey. And uh, again, thank you for having me on. And I, I greatly appreciate your time. Folks, if you like what you heard, you want to hear more, uh, I invite you to go to joe20.com. That's J-O-2-0.com. You can find out about our policies. Uh, you can join our team. There's a volunteer form we can fill out. Uh, if you are able to make a contribution, we would greatly appreciate anything that we uh, that you're able to give. It's what allows us to do all these tours that we're doing. We accept zero corporate cr crony fun funding. We've gotten exactly zero dollars and zero cents of crony funding. Uh, and we also don't rob you to pay for our campaign like the <laughs> Republicrats do uh, through federal matching funds. So we believe that if we get your, we believe that we have to earn your support and your vote and your contribution. And if I've earned it today, then I ask you to give what you can. Uh, and if you're not able to give money, I ask you to give your time, volunteer, tell the message, spread the word of maximizing human liberty, setting the world free in our time. And I thank you for your time. Well, thank you. And I mean, it definitely sounds like uh, you converted some folks in the audience. So that's always a good thing. Awesome. Um, you guys will find in the description, the campaign website and um, your social media links as well are down in the description. So folks do, you have my, do, do you have my YouTube on there? I believe I do. Let okay, me perfect. Double check. Yeah, no, perfect. Because my YouTube, you yes, know, if you've, ever, if you've ever had someone go, yeah, but what do libertarians think about this? And you're like, I don't want to spend a half hour explaining this. You can, you can shoot them over one of my videos that explains that from my YouTube. I probably got about a five or six minute long video that answers that question. And if they go, yeah, yeah, but what about whatever? And you're like, oh my gosh, I just want to eat dinner. There's probably a follow-up video about it too. So <laughs> be sure to subscribe to that. <laughs> Yes, and they're very good videos. I actually listened to all of them over the last week. So holy crap! <laughs> wow. Well, th thank you. For I came your, prepared. Thank you for your dedication. That's impressive. <laughs> all right. So thanks again for coming on. Thank and, you. And um, good luck with everything with the campaigns going forward. I appreciate it. Thank you. Y'all have a great night. Thank you. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Um, and we'll be back to the usual video schedule and live stream schedule next week. Good night.